Welcome to the What We Talked About in Class podcast, brought to you from the campus of Wayne Community College in Goldsboro, North Carolina, sponsored by the Foundation of Wayne Community College. We're going to jump back in and wrap up Chapter 8 today on HRM, Human Resources, and I am going to do just a very brief recap of things we talked about on Tuesday. So basically, we, we talked about HR, there's a lot of different facets to it. Um, there's planning, compliance, hiring, training, uh, evaluation, termination, and discipline issues, uh, benefits, so ton of ton of different things that go into it. Um, we, like I said, we talked about planning, job analysis and description, training and developments, on-the-job training, off-the-job training, orientation, compensation, and keep in mind, once again, compensation is more than just what you get on your paycheck. Um, once you start getting those company-based paychecks or, or career-based paychecks, uh, my paycheck, for example, is like one page and change, and it's got all these itemizations on it, like, you know, you've got your Social Security, retirement, health dental, vision, life insurance, just all these different item line items that you look at and each one of them is cutting into your pay somehow, you know, so, but all that is part of your total benefits package. Um, performance planning and evaluation, trying to identify if this person, associate, employee is performing what they're supposed to be doing, uh, the way they're supposed to be doing it, and if not, uh, what could they do uh, to improve so you need some type of feedback loop. Um, I think, as I mentioned on Tuesday, it needs to be more frequent than an annual thing. So Ms. Hood just started at Starbucks. What is their, do you know their evaluation schedule? Do they give you a 30 day, 60 day, 90 day, and then a six months and a year or what? Do you know? Okay, that's fine. Normally when you're a new hire, they have some 30, 60, 90 or 30, 90, six months, one year. Did they have that at Texas? Yeah, well, 90 so yeah um miss legrand's her husband or their sort of family owns a fire extinguisher company called bucks and when i talked to ralph uh, he's the the owner he said that all his employees are temporary or not temporary but they're contingent on a 90-day plan so when they start uh it's a basically you know anybody can leave or separate you know I, you can i can terminate you or you can leave within that 90 days you're just on trial basically to see if this is going to be a good fit and if it is a good fit, that's great. But if not, we need to move on and find somebody else that's going to be a better fit. So um, we talked about recruitment, internal and external. Uh, there's a lot of, um, I guess, if you're applying and you're an internal candidate, it does give you an advantage, I believe, in most scenarios because you know the culture of the organization, you know the people. Uh, and a lot of people, um, have you ever seen that Let's Make a Deal show? You know what I'm talking about, the game show? Well, would you take what you can see behind door number one or the mystery item behind door number two, right? So a lot of people are probably inclined to take what they can see behind door number one because there's no mystery to it. They know what they're getting. Unless it's a really bad candidate uh, it's, or the other candidate has a lot more credentials or something, you know, that's just completely, you know, topsy-turvy. I think give, being an internal hire gives you an advantage because you already know uh, the lay of the land, so to speak, the culture, and uh, have a relationship already. Not always the case, but I just think there is a, a slight advantage there. Um, external, you know, there's a lot of things HR does to try to bring in external candidates. They'll post on job boards. You guys mentioned Indeed on Tuesday. 
um, they will go to job fairs. We have these uh, here locally where we'll bring in employers from around the area to, to come set up a booth and talk to candidates about what they offer. You know, getting an employee or attracting an employee to your company is a big deal. You know, you want to be able to be competitive, to offer benefits and offer pay that's going to attract an employee not only to start with your organization, but stick with you for a, a significant length of time. Um, did I mention to you guys that I saw McDonald's was offering a $600 sign-on bonus on Tuesday? I think I might have mentioned that. Yeah, I mean, that's how desperate some of these uh, companies are, say, we're going to give you a bonus just to come stay with us for 90 days. You know, you come work for 90 days, that's how much we need labor right now. Um, to, for me, and Peyton and I were talking about this as we started the, the class, uh, the idea of people laying out of the labor market right now, which is a true thing. Uh, the stats say there should be way more people working than not. But that indicates to me that the market is not paying that labor enough to attract it. You know, it's just like supply and demand. Uh, if I am not selling this item, if I have it listed for sale, nobody's buying it. Eventually, if I keep lowering the price, the price, it'll hit a threshold where somebody will say, I got to buy this thing. Have you ever been to a store and saw something on sale that you didn't really want or need, but it was so cheap that you had to buy it anyway? Do you have an idea what that was? Uh, I mean, I knew that for video games. Yeah? Yeah, video games. Um, yeah. I was at Walmart probably a few months ago, and they had these snorkeling sets on sale. They were originally 30 bucks, and my kids, my parents, my, 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 I guess my kids' grandparents, or my parents have a pool. So they were marked down from 30 to $7. So really a significant discount. So it's not like from, I hate when they mark something from 30 to like 27. I'm like, that doesn't do it for me. You know, come on, talk to me. But yeah, so they, they lowered it to seven bucks, and that enticed me to buy two sets. Well, I showed my mom. She liked it a lot, so it enticed her to buy two sets. And when I went to buy her two sets, I bought myself two more to put up for my kids for next summer. And so same thing's true in employment markets. If somebody, if you put a job out there and nobody's biting on it, you have to ask yourself, you know, do I just keep waiting for somebody to step in? In the meantime, this person is valuable to me. You know, if somebody's paying you $30,000 a year, you're probably producing three hundred dollars to $600,000 of value for that company. No joke. That's what, I mean, like, if, if, you're pre, if, if somebody's paying you $10 an hour, you're probably making $40, $50 to $100 an hour for that company, you know? So by not hiring somebody, that company is losing the productivity, the opportunity to make money off of you. So eventually what they have to do is raise the rates and say, okay, nobody's willing to work for $10 an hour. What about $11 an hour? Does that do it? Does that get us more buys? What about $12 an hour? So what excites you guys? Just, just curious, just throw it out there. What number, like if you saw a number for a job, what number per hour would really be interesting to you? Just like, okay, I'm listening. $14, $14 an hour, what else? 18 20 Yeah, if I saw 20 bucks an hour, tell me more, you know? What's that, you know? What about $50 an hour? Would that be interesting? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, that got your attention. I saw your eyebrows raise up, yeah. So... That's what I'm talking about. These companies have to look at where that supply demand is. So if they post that $50 an hour job, what would happen? They'd probably get 1,000 applications, right? So what that would tell them is, we're offering too much money for this job because we got too much demand for it. We need to drop that back on down, you know, to see to a level where it's gonna find that equilibrium point. And so um, employee selection, this is uh, kind of getting into the new material. The process of determining when people in the applicant pool possess the qualifications necessary 
to be successful on the job. Uh, selective hurdles approach applicant can be rejected in, at any step or hurdle. So they have an initial screening and employment test. These are not all inclusive or, or offered at every uh, place of employment, uh, but in some places you might find some or all. Selection interview, background reference checks, physical examination, and decision to hire. That physical examination is a weird one. Why do you think that is? Like some jobs that require physical activity, you may have to be physically healthy enough to, to do this type of work. So there may be a physical exam involved for some type of work. Um, so these are not in any particular order. I guess the initial screening is a primary thing, but I've had the background check not take place till after basically a final interview. Okay, we're serious about this candidate. We're gonna make an offer, but that's contingent on background check, you know, where they, they send your, your name and social security number through a system. They say if you've uh, uh, done anything, you know, that would, that would be a turnoff to them or make them uh, make a different decision. So, um, yeah, and like not every in-place of employment has these things. Like when I was at Walmart, I did have that employment testing. They do like an ethics and a, and a personality test to see if you're the type of personality that might be a person that will steal things or if you have some ethical gray area issues. Um, and they also want to see what type of personality you have, you know, if that's going to be something that they can uh, incorporate into the business. Um, I did not have any type of test like that when I came to Wayne, for example, or University of Mount Olive. Um, and so I did, oddly enough, have one at when I sold cars for Toyota. They, they had this thing back then where they would do a personality test on you and they would give you a name badge with your personality results on the badge, which was weird. Like they classified you as either a blue, green, yellow, or red. And it like had to look a little chart on it that showed your personality type. I thought that was so weird. But yeah, I guess, uh, I don't know what the logic behind identifying what type of personality you are to the whole world, but that's, that's what they did. So. Uh, so I guess somebody sold them on the idea that that would be smart. So, all right, so let's talk about labor relations real quick. Um, we've talked about the, you know, the employment section. So labor relations, what do you guys, when I say the word union, what association do you have with that? Is it a positive association or a negative association? Positive. Why do you say that? Just curious. Church union. Okay. What? Who else? Did you say positive, Miss Why do you say positive? Just curious. Bring something together? Okay. Does anybody have a negative association with union? No? So, quick story on unions. Um, I hadn't really experienced anything union-related until I got to Walmart. And the word union is like blasphemy. You can't even say it. Do they still talk about this, Peyton, at Walmart? Unions? I really tune it out. Don't listen. Yeah, well, yeah, you can't even talk about unions at Walmart in the facility. Like yeah. It's such a blasphemy or dirty word to use. They don't want to talk about it. They are so serious about being anti-union that if the store rumors of being union, they will close the entire store and fire every employee. They've done that before. Yeah. So if a store is talking about, okay, we're 300 associate strongs, we're going to form a union real quick. We're going to vote on it. Majority will, um, if a majority vote on it, we form a union. Now we have a union rep. They will close that store and fire every employee to prevent. Like a boycott? What's that? Like a 
a union is basically a, a group of workers organizing and saying, we want better pay, we want better benefits, and you will negotiate with us because we are strong together, and if you don't negotiate, we're going to boycott and not work for you. And so there's – go ahead. What you got, Peyton? So um, the manager that we currently have in our department sucks. Like, he's absolutely terrible. Uh-huh. So everybody in our department – Right. Everybody calls out, yeah. And they found out about it and told us that if we did that they would fire everybody and rehire and retire and things. And yeah. Like, I don't know we like our jobs. So there you go, yeah. So the idea of a union, I didn't have any like I didn't know if it was good or bad when I got to Walmart and very early in my management training they just they program you to know it's bad. But after I've had time to reflect on it, I have a mixed view on it. Just like everything else in life, there's good and bad. The good is is that it does allow workers to join together and to uh, fight for better benefits and better pay. Uh, the bad is it is kind of anti-capitalistic because, uh, you know, it, it's a system that, you know, a, a company should be able to offer a market value for employments and that person, a market participant, should be able to say, I will work for that wage. Uh, but we see now these big companies like Walmart and otherwise, they, they very much will have this downward pressure on wages. Wage stagnation has happened. It's a real thing. Their wage stagnation has been present for decades. If you look at inflation versus uh, wages, it looks like this. Basically, over the past four decades, one, two, three, four, wages have stayed kind of flat. Inflation has stayed like this. And the top income earners have done this also. So, but everybody, the bottom 90% are right here, just kind of drifted along. Um, and so, like, when my parents were working in the 80s, they made wages comparable to when I began working in the 2000s. And so, you know, that's just one example of wage stagnation. So, uh, Labor Union is an organization that represents workers in dealing with management over disputes involving wages, hours, and conditions. Labor relations process uh, has three phases. Union organizing its where people get together, usually off-premises, and say, we want to organize so we can fight for better wages and pay and benefits. Um, negotiating labor agreement and then administering the agreements. So the modern labor movement, local unions, national unions, and federations, unions used to be much bigger than they are now. You still hear about teachers' unions that exist. Um, you know, like... It's hard for me to be objective on this because I am a teacher, but there was a, there's been movements in the past five years where teachers in other states have unions and they organized and they protested. They're like, we're not going to go to school and teach. Like, you know, we're just going to walk out and these kids are going to be left hanging. And that is a major problem. Um, I am biased and I admit that on the front end. Uh, but let's say that all the teachers locally said we're not going to teach until we get better pay and benefits. It would be outrageous. Parents would freak out because they're used to dropping their kids off as childcare and education. It's a dual thing they do, right? We need somewhere for our kids to be during the day while we go to work. And so if the teachers are not going to be there, the Congress needs to get this fixed, right? There was a uh, protest within the past three to five years in Raleigh for North Carolina teachers that they weren't unionizing, but they were protesting for better pay and benefits. Uh, and how that worked out, we haven't got a raise in three years, so I guess it didn't work out too good. Uh, but, yeah, um, 
I, like I said, I see the, the good and the bad. The good of unions is, is it does allow people to organize. The bad, um, unions can become corrupt, and they do charge a fee for their services. So you pay union dues for those unions to facilitate and organize on your behalf and negotiate on your behalf. It does create a barrier between management and workers, too, because they have to go through a union delegate. And so there, there is good and bad. Uh, so local union, union represents workers at a specific uh, plant, should be a T there, or geographic area. Um, shop stewards, elected officials who represent union members to management when workers have complaints. And then the federation collection of the union. And so organizing, uh, basically people get together and they have a vote uh, on whether they want to organize or not. Uh, so non-union employer becomes unionized through campaigns. Once contract contract is made, Organizer, organizer convinces workers to sign authorization card. Employers speak against but are prohibited from interfering with card signing or coercing employees not to join. Requires 30% of employees to ask the NLRB for certification election. Um, so the election, they, they have a secret ballot they conduct, conducted by the National Labor Relations Board. Supervisors and managers are not allowed to vote. Results in certification of union or rejection of a union. If certified, collective bargaining begins, meaning we are electing union delegates to speak on our behalf to get better benefits and pay for us. That's what we're doing. And if we don't get it, they have a strike or a walkout. No, we're not moving any product. We're not doing any services until we get better pay. Um, yeah, it's a rare thing these days to see that. But like I say, teachers, uh, I'm biased, but... People take teachers for granted, but if we didn't have teachers, it will create a major problem in our economy. All right, so negotiating union contracts. Union contracts created through collective bargaining. Both the management and union teams made up of a few people. One person, each side is chief spokesperson. Negotiators set a list of contract issues to be discussed. Several rounds of bargaining occur. Resulting contract is approved by management and union members. Approved contract covers union security uh, union shop, agency shop, and right-to-work laws or uh, open shop, management rights, wages and benefits, and job security. Yet some unions, you cannot be fired. If you're a union member, you basically have to leave. You can't, you can't be fired because you have like guaranteed employment being a part of that union. Uh, that was something that was negotiated. So what do you guys think about that? Like guaranteed employment, like you can't be fired regardless of how poorly you perform. What do you guys, you guys have an opinion on that? What's up? I feel like that could be good and bad too. Yeah. Right. Out of the general population, what percentage would you say are horrible workers? What percentage? Like horrible workers? Just like the best bad performers. Like you'd be classified as bad, you know. A third. A third are bad? Are you talking Most teenagers are bad. <laughs> Just the general population, general, all age groups. What do you guys think? Yeah, that's actually probably a pretty good guess. Um, I don't know for sure, but we know through a bell curve distribution that, you know, most people are going to be in the center here, which is like uh, BCD, you know, BCD, you know, BCD. So kind of average workers, you know, kind of in the middle. And then you have a few all-stars. And the problem with being an all-star on the job is you're not getting any, any paid more most of the time for being an all-star, right? Some jobs you do, they have incentives where if you perform really well, 
you get an incentive for being an all-star worker. Um, a lot of jobs don't. And then you have this lower quartile, which is about you know 25% roughly. So a third is a good guess um, of people that are really bad workers. And so the, the median or the midpoint, that's where a lot of workers gravitate towards. They don't want to be ahead of the pack, and they don't want to be behind the pack. They want to be right here in the center where they can kind of hang out. They don't want to get in trouble. Um, most people will work at the 70th percentile, just hard enough to do the job, but not hard enough to work more than they have to do, and not less enough where they get called out and are kind of on the, have a target on their back. And so that's kind of uh, the tendency people have. So managing grievances and conflicts, the main method of po um, policing the contract uh, is grievance procedure. Uh, grievances, the formal complaint of an employee or union that management has violated some part of the contract. The procedure, employee with the grievance, they have an oral presentation. They can put the grievance in writing. They have um, higher level of grievance. They go through arbitration, which is uh, this process by which it's a binding agreement with a third-party arbiter. And then they strike if the agreement is not reached. And so this is not an exact way that a grievance policy is handled, but it can be handled this way. Um, and a lot of uh, employers have a kind of a tiered way they go through things. I actually had an interview, not myself, I was doing a mock interview with a student yesterday, and the, one of the questions came up is, if you found out that a coworker was sexually harassing or stealing something from the workplace, how would you handle that? It was actually two separate questions. I just merged them because it was one about theft and one about sexual harassment. How do you think that you should handle that if you find out that's happened in the workplace? Um, no okay. Anybody have a different answer? That's actually the correct answer. What you got? Okay, so um, we're actually experienced. Okay. Uh -huh. um, in all reality, you're totally supposed to go like, to a manager and they're totally supposed to take care of it because like, a lot of the females in my department are uncomfortable going outside and dispensing because of one of the car pushers okay. because he is sexually harassing them. All right. And um, we were going to go, like, we went to our manager about it and there was a lot of us that went to our manager about it and he was like, oh, we'll just talk to him. And it'll, get up, it'll go away. And we're like, no, it won't go away. Like, he's doing that now. He's going to continue to do it. Yeah. And he was like, no, it's fine. And like, he does that all the time. He's like, oh, it's not a big of a deal. Like, we'll get over it whenever. So, um, in our case, we ended up having to go to the person under him. So, he and they went to the team leads up front and got him fired. Right. You know, so as a, as a former manager, as, as I guess a responsible party for, for Wayne, because that's what they classify all employees as, uh, if anything happens, you need to go report it immediately up the chain of command. Because if you don't report it, what ends up happening is you're now culpable because you knew about it and didn't do anything. And there's a ton of stuff that's come out over the past decade or so where people knew about something, but they didn't report it. And so therefore it escalated and became a problem. Managers default, especially weak managers, are, oh, it'll go away. Oh, I'll ignore it. It won't be a problem. But, like, if I say the word Penn State 
What comes to mind? Football. Yeah. Anything else come to mind, Penn State? Yeah, there was a big scandal that came out that one of the coaches was sexually abusing kids and players. So the what the bigger scandal – well, I don't know if it was a bigger scandal, but I, I guess the big scandal that came out is that several people up the ladder knew this was going on and they did not act on it. I mean, the guy was eventually fired, but it was allowed to continue. Same thing happened with Virginia Tech. Remember hearing about the shooting that happened at Virginia Tech? That – you know, I've read a couple of papers uh, after the fact where they did a analysis, and as it turns out, this individual who was disturbed, he was n- known to be a disturbed party by people within the campus community, and it was reported more than once that hey, this guy's got a problem, uh, but there were there was not interventions done. So as a manager, when you guys are in a leadership and management position, you definitely should not do what that manager did. In fact, I'm surprised the manager didn't get reprimanded for ignoring that sexual harassment complaint. Because if you don't hold people accountable, people will hold you accountable. and say, okay, well, we know this guy's a problem, he's gone, but what did you do to fix it? You didn't do anything, so now you've got a formal write-up in your record. So keep that in mind, like you want to escalate, and you also want to keep notes on things for yourself. Like I would keep a journal in when I was in management to say I spoke to this person on this date about this, so, if anybody ever comes back and say, what did you know when and what was all the details, I have those details. So, um, so a little bit more about uh, labor relations, employment, labor relations. What happens when businesses make decisions that violate laws and regulations designed to protect uh, working Americans? Federal law ensures that job applicants and employees are treated fairly and not discriminated against. Hiring, training, promotion, compensation must be unbiased and based on performance only. You've probably heard about this, even though you might not recognize it as uh, what it was at the time, but on an application, have you ever read the statement, um, this company does not discriminate based on age, race, gender, sex, sexual identity, national origin, religion, all these legally protected status, right? You've seen that before? The reason that's a blanket statement on all these employment forms is because no company wants to be accused of or actually discriminate against people for these legally protected status. And so as managers and leaders yourself, you need to keep that in mind is that uh, you may philosophically disagree with somebody, but you should be open and accepting to everybody. It's bad for business to not be. So um, make sure that you know you yourself are not discriminating and that as a representative of a company, um, not discriminating. He's a, this is just some of the anti-discrimination legislation, Equal Pay Act, Civil Rights Act, the Age Discrimination Act, American with Disabilities Act, the Vietnam Veterans Readjustment Act, and the Pregnancy Discrimination Act. Some of the stuff is really cringy, like the idea of not hiring somebody because they're pregnant. That sounds ridiculous, right? But it happens. Like people might see a pregnant mother and say, uh, we're not going to hire this person because they're going to need to be out in you know, whatever, whatever the delivery date is. Uh, or we're not going to hire this person because they're older you know, and they may want to retire soon. Uh, and so like, these are real issues of discrimination that have happened and, and continue to happen in the workplace. And that's why they have legislation protecting employees. The problem we run into is the why. Like, if you don't get hired, why is this happening? I've only heard of one real case, um, and I forget the exact reason, but, like, one applicant at another job I had in the past claimed that they didn't get hired for some discrimination reason, and I don't remember all the details. If I did, I would tell you. 
but uh, it, it does occur, or at least um, there's a perception that it occurs. Sometimes you don't get hired because you're not the best candidate. So just be aware of that. Labor and safety reg- uh, legislation, these are some additional laws. So the Social Security Act, the Wagner Act, Fair Labor Standards Act, the Taft-Hartley Act, Pension Reform Act, Occupational Safety and Health Act, Immigration Reform and Control Act, and the Family Medical Leave Act. I'm just going to talk about two of these because they're the two of the more common that interact with us on our, in, our, in our lives at work. The first one is OSHA, Occupational Safety and Health Act. Basically, we want to have a workplace that's safe, right? We want to feel like when we go to work, it's a safe place for us to be, and we don't have to worry about uh, injury or uh, health issues. And so that's what OSHA is designed for, to make the workplace safe for customers and employees. And the other one is Family Medical Leave Act. You know, I still have a hard time reconciling the idea of insurance to begin with because uh, we know, like, if we buy house insurance, our, our house may or may not burn down. It's a, it's a gamble. We don't know. When we buy car insurance, we may or may not get in a wreck. But with health insurance, you know for certain at some point in your life you're going to need medical insurance. It's not an if. It's a when. You know, some people never go to the doctor. You should get an annual physical, you know, just as a good piece of advice. But, yeah, you're going to need health insurance at some point, whether it's uh, illness or injury. We don't know. But this idea of Federal Family Medical Leave Act, this protects you from losing your job if you need to be out in case of yourself, your significant other spouse, uh, or your children need to be out. And so, like, I've seen many cases over the years where an employee, colleague, coworker, needed to be out for a significant health event. You know, they either had a heart attack, their child was critically ill, their parent or spouse was critically ill. And so this prevents an organization to say, oh, you need to be out for two weeks? Well, we're just going to let you go and hire somebody else and get them in here. Yeah, I mean, before this legislation, these, these types of legislations were in place, workplaces were brutal. Like, they wanted you to work sick. They wanted you to work, you know, no matter what. And we want to have a better standard than that. So, all right, um, let's talk about HR trends as the last part of the chapter here. So some of today's most important technology, I'm sorry, important trends in HR include using employee diversity as a competitive advantage. So what do you think that means, using diversity as a competitive advantage? Just in brief, people have different backgrounds. Different backgrounds give us different perspectives. You know, when I, when I, if, I'm, if somebody asked me, how would I market a Barbie doll? I couldn't tell you. I've never played with a Barbie doll. Yeah. Nothing against Barbie. It's just not, I played with G.I. Joe as a kid. But I would turn around and take that question and ask my children, my, my daughters, and say, how would you market a Barbie doll to two kids? And I bet they would say something like, well, I would make a TikTok video, post it, about how cool my Barbie was. And that's brilliant. You know, it's free, and it probably would go, you know, somewhat viral, depending on if we could get somebody to, uh, to click on it and, and perpetuate it forward. So diversity is valuable, not just diversity in culture, diversity in race and gender, but also in age. You know, the way a 65-year-old views the world is going to be different than the way a 25-year-old views the world. And so, like, if you look at social media, I asked you guys at one point, what's the most popular social media? I think you guys said Snapchat and TikTok, right? But if I asked my parents, they would say Facebook because that's, that's what's been around and that's what they know. And so, yeah, I just did set up my TikTok account like a month ago, and I'm, like, older than I think all of you guys. And so, yeah, I came from the Facebook MySpace generation. Does anybody ever have a MySpace page, by the way? Yeah. So do you ever go back and look at it? No. Yeah, I know, right? Like, I've looked at mine, like, 
every few years, and it's just something weird to look at. You know, it's like, okay, this is, this is weird. So other trends, improving efficiency through outsourcing and technology, <clears throat> meaning that a lot of companies don't do everything in-house. They find better providers to help them, like Indeed.com or Monster.com, uh, these other resources that help them branch out. Hiring employees who fit organizational culture, not just filling it with a body. We need an employee, so let's get somebody and get them in here. Trying to, you know, somebody, I, ask, I actually applied to a job a, a while back, probably 10, 15 years ago now. It was the president of Sampson Community College when I was trying to get a job there. Ran into him, a guy named Dr. Aiken. And ran into him once and said, hey, Dr. Aiken, I just want to ask you a question. I applied for a job a while back. I didn't get it. What do you think I could do differently? And he said to me this quote. He said, oftentimes it's not about the person. It's about the right fit for the right job. And I thought that was kind of a safe answer to give, but, in, but actually it's a quality answer because um, I would not be a good fit as an instructor for welding technology. I would not be a good instructor for forestry, you know, or for, you know, for ag science or anything like that, or, or Medtronics. But I'm a decent instructor for business. You know, this is the right fit for me. And so um, that's, that's what organizations strive to do is find that right person for the right job. Uh, I don't care for sales. I'm not a salesperson. I realize that everybody does sales to some degree. But um, if you put me in a sales job, I'm going to do okay. But there's some people that, and if you put me in an accounting job, I'm going to do terrible. I would hate that. So, like, it's all about finding that right fit. So, more service workers joining labor unions. Uh, that's, a, that's a trend we're seeing in HR. All right. So, that does neatly wrap up the Chapter 8 lecture. If you guys have any questions on this or any of the homework, send me an email. I did get your homework, and I will respond to that today. I got it later this afternoon. Um, if you guys need anything over the weekend, once again, just shoot me an email. I'll hit you back, uh, and we will pick up again next Tuesday with Chapter 9, okay? Thanks, guys. Have a good weekend. Enjoy your, your break.